Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. One of the things that we learn about today is consistency. Consistency in our walk. And, and actually chapter 10, I love chapter 10 because chapter 10 started us off right at the very beginning with divorce and marriage. And, and it dealt with the family right off the bat. And, and God goes all the way back to Genesis to talk about husbands and wives and uh, the purpose of them coming together to become one separating from their father and mother right and and so what we see today is is we see our families being attacked for sure and and then last week we talked about little children now jesus was actually referring to those of the kingdom of god the little children of the kingdom of god which is us the ones that have chosen to follow christ if you haven't uh, you haven't chose to follow uh, Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of God is not something that you've obtained yet. But little children actually was referring to infants in the Greek. Now, we all know any of us that have been parents, that when you have the birth of that child, that child's dependent on every need from you. And that's what Jesus is saying about us, is our every need should be on him. And so there should be consistency going to him on a daily basis. A lot of churches have a statement of faith or what we believe. And I, my question is, is, do you actually believe it? Because if you believe it, you actually live it. And if you go, I don't think I've ever read it. Maybe you should read it. So you know what your church is following. <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, one of the things I, I, I pray is that as, ma- as mature Christians, what happens sometimes is we allow old habits or patterns of sin that allow, uh, we allow back into our lives, and, and we start becoming inconsistent in our walk. We start neglecting the Word of God, which is actually supposed to be the authority of our life, and, and there's no consistency of reading it or, or or listening to it daily or even trying to live it out in our life and so what happens is you start to fall back on your own understanding in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 it says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding make sure you understand that in the Greek it's all all not part of your heart not some of your heart all of your heart all of it and lean not on your own understanding. We have a tendency to when we start to struggle in our walks to go, we start leaning on our own understanding. We start looking for the culture and the world to dictate what we do with our marriages and our families. And that's not how it's supposed to be. We, we, we live by the word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
Again, that's all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. When you think about it, the heart, the mind, the soul, that's the very aspect of our, our being. It's the center of our life. And God is supposed to be central about how we act and what we do and how we live. And there should be consistency in that. As we talk about the rich young ruler today, one of the things that I love is, is we see the, the eagerness for him to run to Christ. But the key that you need to pay attention to is the sadness that he walks away from Christ. And, and so many people do that today. There's something that they're hanging on to. There's something that they won't let go of. And Jesus is trying to reach them. And they're, they're just like, I can't let, let go of that thing. I need to keep doing that and I can't follow you. And we've all been there. If you've, if you've given your heart to Christ, there, there was that struggle that happens as we, as we give our life to the Lord. You know, we, we think, man, my life will never be the same. Thank God my life has never been the same. I don't want to go back to that. And so let's look at the first part here as we, we dive into the, the man running to Jesus. And it says he was setting out on his journey a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, between the Synoptic Gospels, the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, this story is covered, and we know that the young man was rich. We know that he was young and that he was a ruler, right? And so those three things. So it, first off, a rich man would never run after anybody. He would send somebody for him. Right? Uh, a ruler would never bow down to somebody, and yet he knelt to Christ. So something's going on in his, in his heart that's troubling him, and, and as we dive into it, we'll find out that there's a, a, a something that's inconsistent in his life, even though he thinks he's perfect. And Jesus knows there's something wrong. Yet this young man, everything, something that he's missing, he seeks Christ. But the question that, that he asks is, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? There's nothing you can do. You don't earn it. You don't earn your way to heaven. See, he's thinking Jesus has figured it out. And I want what Jesus has, and I'll purchase or buy or do whatever Jesus wants me to do so that I know that I have eternal life. And this is a young man who's kept the law. He's been taught that way his whole life. And this question is gnawing at him. And he runs after Jesus to get the answer. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves is in the morning, do we run after Jesus? Are you walking away from the word? Walking away from prayer? See, the, this young man thinks that, that he keeps the law. And that's, that's going to save him. And we know that, you, that, that that's just a list of do's and don'ts. And that doesn't save anybody. Verse 18 says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Right? 
Why do you call me good? Now, we need to take a, a sidebar here, I guess is what we would call it. Because this is a, a piece of scripture that people will argue over, agnostics and atheists. And I want to make sure you understand this. Why do you call me good? They will argue the point that Jesus is saying that he is not good. And that is not what's being said. Jesus is asking a question, why do you call me good? Right? No one is good except God alone. And see, what happens is sometimes when we're ready to argue with people, we will open the word of God with a preconceived notion, and especially atheists and agnostics and Muslims, they love popping the word of God open, and they look for something that they can, I'm going to make that what it needs to be. And there's, there's two different things about this. We actually teach this in, when, when I taught school of ministry. It's not saying that Jesus isn't good. They're coming into it, or, or they'll come into the argument with that preconceived, argu uh, preconceived concept or that argument. What we want to do when we look at Scripture, and this is very important, and it's not a, it's exegesis, which means that the Scripture, the meaning of the interpretation, okay, the interpretation, the text, is what the original author meant to convey. Do you get that? So when, we, when we're reading the Word of God, it's what is the author trying to convey? We tell our, our students context is king, meaning you need to look at the context of the scripture. You don't bring anything to the scripture. The scripture comes to you, and, and it reveals things in your heart. What happens today is, and in a lot of places, they do what they call eisegesis. Okay? Eisegesis means that they take the text, and they interpret it, and they interpret their wishes and their thoughts and their expressions and the reader's subjective ideas into the meaning of the text. So they adapt the text to fit their viewpoint. Why do you call me good? Jesus is just asking a question. Because I can show you in Scripture where he calls himself good. It's in Scripture. It's, it, it's there, but we have to be very careful not to, uh, as we dive into the Word or as we're trying to, to share the gospel with somebody, to try to pull things out and, and add things to, or, or you go, well, love my neighbor as myself. Well, you know what? I, I don't really love this neighbor. <laughs> I'm going to love this neighbor. That's not what the context of the Scripture says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Everybody. So why do you need CRT training? God tells you to love everybody, right? I, I don't need somebody to tell me that I'm not supposed to love you. But see, that's what happens is what we do is we, we eisegesis the scripture instead of exegesis. Um, so let's look at that in verse 18. It says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus didn't say, don't call me good, right? Because Jesus, and this is the verse you go to, John chapter 10, verse 11. John 10, verse 11. And if somebody says Jesus is not, not good, because here's the argument. If Jesus is not good, he's not sinless, and what he did on the cross meant nothing. 
And that's not right. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Well, he just called himself good. Right? And why did Jesus ask the question, why do you call me good? You know what? It was against the law to call a rabbi or a teacher good because it was referring to them as God. And it was against the law. See, this is why scripture is important. This is why understanding what's happening in the culture is important as you're diving into scripture. What did the Lord say? And, and as he's referred to in the Old Testament, in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is what? Is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am the what? The good shepherd. He's referring to the scriptures in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. I am the what? Good shepherd. There's seven I am statements. I'm holding up five hands. This is Alabama school. Seven I am statements in the, in the book of John. Very important because they're all referring to God, that he is the son of God. Isaiah 40, verse 11, he protects his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. He asks that question, why do you call me good? Jesus is good. Jesus is sinless. He did call himself good, referring to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I am the good shepherd. And Jesus hits him back with something in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now Jesus has given him all the commandments. What is the greatest commandment? We read part of that at the very beginning of this. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, when he's, uh, the scribes come up and start trying to test him, it says, Then one of the scribes came, to, came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that which he had answered them, well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You know, when you're discipling somebody who's a new believer, this is a great verse. Love God, love people. Right? Because we have a tendency not to love people. We want to argue with them. And, and, and actually understanding that, that if Christ is at the center of our life, we want him to be involved in how we act, what we say, what we do. And that's the beginning of your faith. But again, the inconsistency that happens with a lot of Christians is, I got that all figured out. They start leaning on their own understanding. And let things come back into their life. And, and then the, the young ruler comes back and hits them. 
And I, I'm sure Jesus is like, really. And he said to him, Teacher, I, all these I have kept from my youth. The Greek word for kept is to guard, to treasure them. He's treasured them. He's valued them. And it's the same thing we should do with God's word is to treasure and value them, to walk in them. And he's like, I've kept all these from my youth. The sad thing is, is God is looking at his heart. Right? Every one of us has been stained with sin. We were born with it. We just went over that last week. Adam, and this is the part that a lot of men don't like. Who, who sinned? Adam and Eve, right? Who's God hold accountable? Adam. In the scripture it says one man sinned. One. He didn't say Adam and Eve sinned. In the marriage, the man is held responsible for anything that happens. Good, bad, right, wrong. It's God looks at the man. You're supposed to lead. You're the pastor of the home. People don't like, like hearing that said. But as the pastor of your home, you're supposed to lead your home. But we've all been stained with sin because of Adam. And God knows the heart. And this man thinks that he's going to earn his way into heaven in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through the faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You cannot earn your way into heaven. God is looking at the heart. That's why he says in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This young man is leaning on his own understanding. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says there is a way that seems right to man, but it ends is the way of death. This young man believes that he's kept these commandments, that everything's good. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. There are a lot of people right now that believe they got it all figured out. They got it all figured out. They have human strategies and philosophies about life. And, and, and they appeal, everything that they look for appeals to this, their self-centeredness, their narcissistic tendencies. But we, we, we have to seek God's, God's law, God's truth, to be on the right path. We can't allow human philosophies to come into our walks as Christians. And what I mean by that is simply, if I, if I live my life by the word of God, I've told you all this before, you're, you're to live your life by God's word. That's what governs your life, is God's word. So when you make decisions, you make it based on God's word. So if I'm looking at the world, I'm looking at God's word this way. So I can 
I don't want nothing to do with that. That, that goes against God's word. You know, it's how I live my life as a, as a husband, as a father, as a man. That's how I'm supposed to live my life through God's word. And so when we see things like AB, the bill in California, AB 22-23, if I live my life by God's word, Exodus 20-13 says, you shall not murder. Right? So if I have God's words here and I go, you shall not murder, how can you kill a child 28 days after? 28 days. If you shake the baby, they're not going to pr- prosecute you. You shake a baby to death, they will not prosecute you. That's what's in that bill. You can abort the baby after the baby's been born. Now, is that human philosophy or God's truth? Because this is where I have problems with a lot of people in the church. Is they went and voted for people who back this stuff. You're, you're voting for people that are going against God's word by killing kids. And if you don't think what they're trying to pass in California won't spread across the United States, you need to wake up to it. Those are human philosophies. What about binary and non-binary? That mess. What does the Word of God say? Again, if I have the Word of God, Mark chapter 10, verses 6 to 9, but from the beginning in creation, God made them, what? Male and female. Not binary. That's, that's the truth of it. We go to God's word. That's how we lead our kids. We teach them, hey, this is what God's word says. Because even though you think you're smart, and you got this human philosophy, and you think you got it all figured out, no, those are man's ways. They're not God's ways. And I'll, I'll give you an example so you know. In Joshua chapter 6, Verses 2 through 5. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All the men of war are going around the city once. Thus shall you do this, do for uh, six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams, ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets and when, the, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you uh, hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up everywhere, uh, everyone straight uh, before him. Now, that's God's ways. God's going to have them march around the city after they've just been circumcised. These men are going to war. Right? March around the city. Have the horns. Have the heart. On the seventh day, we'll blow the trumpet. Everything goes down. Is that man's ways? No. Man's ways would have been what? Man, we need to figure out how we can start sending fire into the, the city. Uh, we gotta, we got to get some ladders. Do we got enough weapons? No. That's man's way. That's human philosophy. When we, when we, when we understand that, that a lot of people are living their life based upon uh, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but it ends in the way of death. 
It seems right, but its, it's end is death. And that's what this young man is going through, the rich young ruler. It, it, it seems right, but it's going to end in death. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our father by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We have his word. We have the Holy Spirit. I couldn't keep the law. Thank God for that Jesus came and died on the cross. But you've got to stop deceiving yourself and allowing these inconsistencies into your life. He wants you to live a consistent life. And, and I mean, if you mess up, God's there. He has given you grace for the journey. You have grace for the journey. So if you, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have yelled at that person. I got upset. They cut me off in traffic. And I gave them the one-finger salute. I shouldn't have done it. Lord, forgive me. And do you realize that you have grace for the journey, that you're not perfect, that you couldn't keep the law? This is where a lot of Christians forget. I mean, it doesn't mean that we go on to sin, right? But we understand the cost of it. In verse 21, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, one of the things I love is that verse that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Loved him in his sin. Jesus loved him. But Jesus is not going to withhold truth from him. He's going to share truth. He's telling him, hey, you lack one thing. You've got to go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I love Ephesians 4.15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. See, one of the things we need to understand is as Jesus is speaking truth in this young man's life, truth is important. It matters. And absolute truth is God's word. It's been given to us by the Holy Spirit. And yet, we have to share it with love. It doesn't mean that we get the hammer out. I don't need you being the Texas hammer as you start trying to give them the word of God. Right? And there's no love in it. You need to be compassionate. You need to, you need to be responsible in understanding, hey, this person, it's probably not going to happen this first time that I talk to them. It's going to be conversations that happen over time. But you need to be willing to sit and share truth with them. Why? John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. That's another one of the I am statements in, in the book of John. He's the truth. Absolute truth. It points to the truth that there is a sovereign God who created the heavens and the earth. So we talked about the kingdom of God last week. He reveals himself in order that we might have a personal relationship with the son Jesus. That is absolute truth. The church cannot be afraid of sharing absolute truth. 
I was listening to Alan Jackson and I was like, man, did he take my notes? Because everything that was in there is in here. He was sharing the same thing about sharing truth with perspective and, and understanding that the church cannot be afraid to share truth. You have gotten to the point where you don't share truth because you weren't allowed to at the city, at the schools, at the government. They told you to stop doing it. And we were guilty of it. Now they, they, they will tell you that we need to have uh, issues with misinformation. It's funny, they didn't have a problem with that until somebody bought Twitter. And then now all of a sudden we have a problem with misinformation. Uh, we've had a problem with misinformation for three years. Let's just be honest with you. And the person that they put in charge of the misinformation, she's nuts. I'm sorry. She needs Jesus. Y'all need to be praying for her. She put out more misinformation just in the last year than, than most of the news stations. And yet she's going to be in charge of the misinformation. It's the same administration that will tell you that a child can't be born from a man. And they want you to trust this person with misinformation. You see the problem? If I have absolute truth and I go by God's word, that, that's wrong. They're created male and female. They're born what? Male and female. Biologically, there is no possible way a man can give birth to a baby. And I don't think the man could withstand the pain. They can't. Go talk to one of them that had kidney stones. They lose their minds. It's the worst pain I ever had. It's like birth. No, it's not. Ask a woman that had a C-section. No, it's not. It's not as bad. But what we see is we see that the church, the, the church has gotten afraid to share truth. We have to start sharing truth. It's funny, they, they want you not to share truth, but they're willing to teach your child about transitioning. But you can't share the word of God in school. And that's what Jesus is doing with this young man. He's saying, look, the way you're living your life is not going to get you eternal life. I love you enough to tell you that the things that you, that, that's keeping you from the kingdom of God is these possessions. They got to go. I'm not sure how many of y'all heard this yesterday. If we're going to share truth and we go by what God's word says, there's a young, like he ain't young, he's 38 years old. And he married a fictional character. That's 16 which tells you there's another issue. And they call it fictosexual. So it's got a name now, and now they're part of the LGBTQ community. This is happening. They're marrying game characters now. Yeah, this stuff is happening. Now, we look at this and we shake our heads going, no, nah, man, this is wrong, because we know God's word. But are you going to share truth? Because I am. Do you start caring about what's being taught in your school board or what's happening at your school board? I would. I'd start showing up. I'd start showing up to the meetings just checking out what's happening. Because this, this stuff is happening uh, in, uh, in our communities now. 
In John 8, verse 31, verse 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you, have, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what happens is, as mature Christians, you just see this stuff and go, uh-uh, uh-uh. Because let me tell you, I think most of our kids are homeschooled. Some of them are in public school. They actually tried to talk to one lady, that apparently the, the group of kids, three of them, the girls that all hung together, or they all were together. All of a sudden, two of them at school decided they were going to transition. And they pulled the other friend in to talk to her. And when the parent wanted to know, what did you talk to her about? And why did you talk to my child about transitioning? There was an NDA, a, a non-disclosure agreement. We can't tell you anything. Now, whose child is that? That's my child. I can bet believe that child would have been pulled from that school that day. Because I am not going to give my child up to the devil. And that's what's happening. So again, are we going to share truth? Because the truth will set you free. That's what God's word does. And we have to be bold enough to do that. You've got to get back to being bold enough to share truth with love. The way Jesus did. He loved them. I love them enough to tell them. If I could see that guy who's Japanese, I tell him, bro, you need to wake up. The path you're on right now is going to take you straight to hell. You can actually marry a physical person, a woman. If you leave this mess behind and stop acting like a child. Now, I know there's no love in what I just said. But at the end of the day, as a father, as a grandfather, it scares me to death where we're going. If, if the church doesn't start voicing their opinion with truth, as pastors, we're guilty because we're too busy Jesus. We're too busy trying to make people happy with the Word of God. I'll never do that. I'll bluntly tell you what the truth is. I, I have no problem doing that. I'm not going to sugarcoat something out of, out of Scripture to make you feel good. If it hits you, it hits you because the Holy Spirit's trying to get you to walk away from that thing. Or wake you up and say, you know what, I'm not doing that. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, it says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are, and are turning to a different gospel. That there is, there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even uh, if we are an angel from heaven, should not... Uh, should preach to you the gospel contrary to one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. As, as, we have been, have, as we have said before, so now I have say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that's contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. If, if, we, if we're going to live God's truth, we need to teach that truth to our children. There needs to be a foundation there for them. And it's based upon God's word. God's word. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. 
for what son is, is there whom the father does not discipline? You go, wait a minute, man. Yeah, you know what Jesus, as he's sharing truth with this young man, this rich young ruler, Jesus is loving him and disciplining him with his word. He's telling him, hey, you can't keep going down this road. You'll never, th that original question you're asking about eternal life, you'll never have it. And anybody who's been parents understand that your kids need to be trained up. You understand that if you don't discipline your children, you're going to have problems down the road. In Proverbs, verses one, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 10, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions. And I love this part of the verse. And forsake not your mother's teachings. That's how important parents are. It's hard raising a child as a single parent. Now, Timothy and his grandmother brought him up in the Lord. That does happen. But, man, the intention and the problem that we see in our, in our culture today is we have too many kids that are growing up with only one parent. The, the fathers are absent. And it says, For they are graceful garland for, you, uh, for your head and pendants of, of, for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. That's the whole purpose of them learning truth and learning the discipline that we go, hey, that goes against God's word. And you probably shouldn't watch that. We need to go ahead and remove that from, <laughs> from whatever thing that's on there. That needs to go. And, and so at the end of the day, I love this because Jesus is correcting this young man. And you go, well, why does Jesus do this? Well, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Guess what? He can correct you too. Why? He has all authority. He has all authority to correct us. And so one of the things I pray is that we would stand for God's truth, God's word. He said to him, you lack one thing, go sell, that, uh, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, 6, verses 9, 19 through 21. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where, you treasure, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, there's this thing that happens to, to us for some reason. We try to separate our spiritual life and our material life. And Jesus is saying, look, there's no division. He's stating very clearly, everything you do, your attitude towards me, the way you follow me, your wealth and everything that you have is marked towards spirituality. Meaning that, that you need to be focused more on storing treasure in heaven than here. I need a bigger ranch, right? That's always the thing. Or I need a house. Or we need to make an addition to the house, right? And we, and we're, we're, we get so focused. Why do we need a deck? Let's put a pool in. All that stuff's going to get burned up, every bit of it. Every bit of it is going to get burned up. And that's why Jesus is trying to tell him that go get rid of all this stuff, sell it to the poor, come follow me.
Because he's saying true righteousness in Christ is in our lives is that we have the proper attitude towards material things. God is not saying there's something wrong with you driving a nice car or having a nice house. He's saying when those things have you, there's a problem. And with this young man, in verse 22, as we see him walk away, disheartened by saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus loved him enough to share the truth with him. And instead of it convicting him and coming to repentance, he had what? Worldly sorrow and walked away. He didn't have godly sorrow because he would have repented and followed Christ. Let it all go. Let everything go. Anything in the way that keeps me from eternity, let it go. There's this, the way that they hunt these things called spider monkeys is they actually put a box and the box is no bigger than this and they cut a tiny hole in it just enough to where the spider monkey can stick his hand in it. And they put shiny marbles in the middle of the box. And the spider monkey sticks his hand in it and can't figure out how to get it out. And then, this is the rough part. I don't have a problem with this, but I know some people will, especially people who love animals. The, the hunter comes behind and smacks it in the head and kills it. <laughs> Just boom. Because the, the monkey, even though he knows the hunter's coming, he won't let go of the shiny objects. He won't let go of the shiny objects. And so what's keeping you from letting go of what you're holding on to that God is telling you this has got to go? This has to leave. In John chapter 3 verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. So what's our application? Isaiah, you can go ahead and come on up, buddy. Do you have a tight grip on, the, on something that Jesus is saying you need to let go of? A material thing? A position? At work? Maybe your job has become that shiny object that you won't let go of, and he's saying this, you gotta, you gotta stop because you're, you're working seven days a week. You're never home with your wife and your kids. I've called you to be a husband and a, and a father too. Maybe it's a, a relationship or, or it could be money. But he's saying, look, if you, if you need to let this go, you've got to let it go. The other application, this is very important. Are you running to Jesus? Are you slowly walking away in sorrow from him because of the life that you're living? Maybe there's something going on in your life and you just, man, I'm just drifting away. I, I've had inconsistencies in my, in my life. I've allowed some old habits to come back in my life. And instead of running to Jesus, you're walking sorrowful away from Christ. You still belong to him. You just need to repent. And Jesus, I love the, the fact that he used the word of God to share truth. He loved him enough to share truth with him. It's very important for us to understand that the Word of God is the, the thing that should dictate our, our, our day and our lives. And we've got to be careful not to start leaning on our own understanding. And 
and you got to pay attention to them. And the original question was, where will you spend eternity? He wanted eternity. He wanted eternal life. That's what the rich young ruler wanted. And that's the question we ask ourselves. When we're, when we're struggling with trying to figure out if we're going to follow Christ or not. And so for, for if you're watching online or you catch this on the podcast later, Jesus uh, said in John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet, he, uh, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, uh, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, communion is for believers. And so if you're watching online and you haven't made the choice to follow Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. You're simply admitting that you're a sinner. You're asking for forgiveness and turning away from your sin. You believe that Christ died on the cross. And you receive Christ into your heart. If you want to pray this prayer after me, just, just say this prayer with the eyes closed. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Be my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.